Well, hello, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you across our network to the start of Fear Less. Fear Less. The emphasis is intentional as well as the capital letters. We're exploring how we live boldly and courageously in the complexity of life. But before we get too far into the start of the series, I want to invite you to think with me for a moment. Think about a time that you experienced an unexpected change, an abrupt loss, something kind of crummy. It might have been a job loss, health issue, loss of a loved one, a family tragedy, maybe a business deal gone sideways, legal action, academic setback, car crash. You got something in mind? Okay, how'd you feel? How'd you feel in those moments? And how did you react? See, in those moments, we can feel sad, we can feel frustration, we can feel worry, we can feel anger, but we can also feel fear. And I think fear is the most paralyzing of those realities. Because fear can creep in, and it can grip us, and it can cause us to question core realities in our life, like who we are and why we're here, our identity and our purpose. And that can be pretty unsettling. To be quite honest, we don't have to look very far around the world to find things in this life and world that are unsettling, that can cause us to worry and cause us to be afraid. Even our nation in particular in this season is facing unique challenges around election, around legal shifts, around racial tensions. Regardless of your personal convictions or beliefs, the reality is our nation is positioned in a season with, that is uniquely challenging. It's complex. And that complexity can be scary. It can lead us to fear. But the truth is we can fear less. And we need to fear less. We need to fear less things, and we can fear less things. We can actually live boldly and courageously in the complexity of life if we know how. Or we can give in to it. We can, it can overwhelm us, and we can end up looking more like this guy, the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz, who's afraid of everything. Listen, we can fear less. We just need to know how. How do we hold to hope? How do we find stability amidst the complexity of life? This is the reason that we're taking time to look at the example of some guys who, who figured out a way to navigate the complexity of their day. How to live as holy people in unholy times. And quite honestly, that's our challenge today. How to navigate the complexities in a way where we still honor God. And we're taking time to do that as we study specifically in the book of Daniel. And we're going to do that as we walk through the rest of the series. But let's just start by grabbing your note guide right now. Let's get right into it. Let me give you the first fill-in as we begin our time today. That God works in the triumphs and tragedies of life. God works in the triumphs and tragedies of life. Look, good things happen and bad things happen, but God works in all of that complexity. So the reality is that means that we're not alone in the triumphs or the tragedies. That he's able to work alongside us and in that. And that means that when we follow Jesus, we can fear less. We can fear less. Jesus can define our life and should define our life, not our circumstances. So we can take a posture, a fearless posture, in the complexity of life as we seek to honor God. But we need to understand how we do that, especially in the world that is increasingly hostile towards the things of God. 
Now, how we do it is actually fairly simple. But life and humanity is complex. So it makes executing the task complex because humans and life are complex. It's a complexity. And most people want to run from the complexity, want to avoid it, want to hide from it, kind of clamor against it. But really, we're called to live with boldness and courage in the midst of it. It's why we're here. Yet when we don't understand how it all works, or that the core issues behind those bigger problems in life, those, many of the problems we face, whether they're moral issues or political realities or all the complexity we face, at the core of many of those is the issue of authority. It's the issue of who gets authority. See, good and bad happens, but the complexity of life doesn't have to put a fearful spin on us. We can actually sit in a posture where we fear less. God works in the triumphs and tragedies. And whatever you face today, you can navigate that complexity and fear less when we understand how. So let's take a look at how this worked in the life of a couple of folks in the Old Testament. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to the book of Daniel. This is in the Old Testament. It's well past Psalms and Proverbs, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 1. So I invite you to click and turn if you've got a Bible. We're going to go there and spend our time there today. Now this, is, this whole book is mostly written in the third person, but it's written by Daniel. We know that because of the moments where he says in the first person, I, Daniel. It's mostly written in the third person except for those moments. And that was common for writers in ancient times to do that. Even God referred to himself in the third person on occasion. But Daniel wrote this, and it's even confirmed by Jesus in Matthew 24 when he references the words of Daniel. And the book of Daniel itself is, is filled with prophecy that's fulfilled. It's actually filled with the most fulfilled prophecies in all of Scripture. And as we're picking this up, we're going to look specifically starting with verse 1. So let's dig in on into it. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, right out of the gate, Daniel puts before us a really hard reality that, that many of us maybe have felt but don't know what to do with. The reality that God orchestrates or allows difficulty in our life. You, you have felt this. You may not know what to do with it. You may not know how to process it. But the reality is that God allows and orchestrates difficulty in our life. At a minimum, he allows and in those moments when he does that, we have a choice to make. How we're going to react and respond, whether we're going to choose to remain faithful or whether we're going to take control. And right out of the gate, this is happening in Daniel chapter 1. God does not prevent all hardship in life. And that puts us in the decision point or posture to say, are we okay with that? Do we really trust him to work in both triumph and tragedy? How we respond to triumph and tragedy reveals the nature of our relationship with him. And, and our response to those things is an indicator of who has authority in our life. But hold that thought for now. Let's keep rolling down through and looking at some of the other sections because the good news of what it means for, for what God does allow and orchestrate, he always works for good. He, he never does anything apart from love. In fact, God never does anything without great purpose. That's your next feeling if you're tracking along. That God never does anything without great purpose. That's true back for Daniel's time, but it's also true now. What he allows or what he orchestrates 
in our lives has more to do with his concern and interest around our holiness than our happiness. He wants us to look and act like Jesus. Holiness is Christ-likeness. It's Jesusness. That's not a real word. I just made that up. Holiness is Christ-likeness. It's being like him. And God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. So he will allow and orchestrate things in our life to move us towards holiness. Because God always acts with purpose. Now let's put this back in the context of Daniel chapter 1. You see, Jehoiakim was king of Judah. And his name meant Yahweh raises up. But God had not raised up Jehoiakim. The Pharaoh of Egypt had. He put him in charge. And not long before this, Pharaoh attacked Babylon. He attacked the Babylonian Empire. In response, King Nebuchadnezzar retaliated. He, he defeats the Egyptian army. He chases them all the way back to the Sinai. And either along the way or on the way back, he attacks Jerusalem because Jerusalem was loyal to Egypt. This happened in 605 B.C. This is the first time that Jehoiakim faced Nebuchadnezzar, but it would not be the last. There'd be two more invasions. Now let me put something into context about the people of God. See, for 120 years, the people of God lived in the United Kingdom. It was through that whole Moses to Joshua to the promised land reality. They had a king, Saul, then they had David, then they had Solomon. After those three kings, that kingdom divided into the north and the south. In the north was Israel. In the south was Judah. That divided kingdom ran for 400 years. During that time period, Israel had 19 kings, and Judah had 20. Of the 39 kings that reigned in that time period, zero of them were good in God-honoring in Israel. Zero. And only eight were good in God-honoring in Judah. This is not a faithful time for God's people. As a result, a number of things happened. Two things in particular were dramatic. One was that the Assyrians came in and they scattered the people of the northern kingdom in Israel, just scattered them everywhere. But then the Babylonians came in and started an exile. Came in and took people from their country and took them to the, back to Babylon. And this is where we're picking up this story. This is starting the exile period. And it's because there was an issue of disobedience around idolatry, failure to follow the instructions of God that led to this scenario. And on top of it, Jehoiakim was not one of the eight faithful kings of Judah. He was not God-honoring. He resisted submitting to any authority. Even, even God sent Jeremiah to say, hey, look, here's the deal. The prophet Jeremiah is speaking into Jehoiakim's life. He rejected it. And that created a very difficult situation for the people of God. One that was bad that actually seemed to get worse as the Babylonians came in and took. But remember, God always acts with purpose. He does, never does anything without great purpose. So here's what happens next. And you can track in your own Bible if you got it out. Otherwise, just listen to what I'm saying. So Nebuchadnezzar then says to the, the chief official of his courts, he says, look, go grab some of the nobility, some of the royal family, some of the young men, probably ages 13 to 17, cap, grab them up and bring them to Babylon. They need to have no physical defect, handsome, have a learning aptitude. Bring them here and I'm going to put them in a three-year indoctrination program. I'm going to give them my own food, good food, and we're going to prepare them to serve in my service. So in that directive, a number of men from the Hebrew nation were taken, but four in particular identified. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may know those last three by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names. See, when they, all those men were taken, they were given new Babylonian names. Even Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar. But we know Daniel by his 
by his given name. We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Babylonian names. Now, all of this change, all of the, the, the food stuff, the, the education, the name changing, all of that was about an indoctrination program to get these men to set aside who they were, to leave their Hebrew culture and leave their God behind and to embrace the realities of the Babylonian culture. It, but, it, but it was more than just about control. Nebuchadnezzar wanted these men to look to, to him for their dependence, to give them all of their authority and all of their allegiance to him. But it didn't work at least for four. Let's take a look at what happens and what that really means and how it comes out as we look at the next part of Scripture. See, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Now, an interesting note, that word for your in here is plural. So he's not just talking about Daniel. He's actually talking about some other folks, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah. So here we go on the next part. Why should, we, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Now, here's a, a really distinct reality about how we live in a relationship to God. I want to unpack this with you. When we follow God, it should define the way that we live. So we could say it this way, that having faith in him means living life for him. If we have faith in God, it means we're going to live our life for God. Regardless of the location, regardless of our conditions, regardless of the complexity, regardless of the troubles. If we have faith in him, we live for him. Now, in this world, when we interact, we can actually interact in four distinct ways. We interact as people with other people. We can interact with God as spiritual beings. We interact with organized authority, which we can call government. And we can even interact with ourselves as we just reflect and contemplate on life. Now, if you're like me, you talk to yourself. And they say that's okay as long as you don't respond. So I don't know about you, but for now, I'm okay. But these are the four arenas that we interact. And, I, and you can throw in some more. And, and I realize that this is a grid right now, and it's, it's, it's kind of segmented out. And, and the reality is this is much more woven together. But that's really hard to dictate or show on some of few craft items from Hobby Lobby. But just hang with me primarily with these four areas. Because when we have these things happening, they start to interact with each other. And they start to impact one another. And they can collide and influence. It gets really complex. And in that complexity, we can be tempted to just take control and say, you know what? I'm not going to allow anything to happen that I don't control. I'm going to dictate what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, who's doing it around me. We take, we take, take a posture of independence. But if we have faith in God... We're to follow God. And, and it's not so much what we do or even what gets done to us in life. It's who we live life for that matters most. And if we have faith in him, we're going to live for him. And, and, and Daniel and his three friends were making a choice not to defile themselves not to pollute themselves is an issue of purity and faithfulness. Is not an issue of fitness or diet or preference, but something bigger. And they could have justified different behavior due to the circumstances. You've got to think about this. The tragedy, the loss, the fear that was, was possibly around them, even the feeling that God had abandoned them. They could have chosen something different, but they didn't. They chose to keep faithful. Now, 
you got to think about the complexity of this whole scenario. They're taken to a new land. They're no longer subject to the same rules, not, not the same familiar people or culture or government. They, they, they had served in Judah, a government that acknowledged God, but it was unhealthy because of Jehoiakim. So it was even messed up in and of itself. And so the world they lived in in Judah was already a bit sideways and challenged. But then you're, they're yanked into greater complexity as exiles and slaves. And they faced, in that point, the same choice that we have when we face abrupt changes or sudden losses in our life, when we face the complexity. Are we going to honor God or not? That's the decision. In all the complexity we face, are we going to honor God or not? They had to decide if they were going to be submitted and faithful. Remember, God allows or orchestrates difficulty in our life. And every time we experience one of those moments, triumphs or tragedies, we're positioned to decide if we're okay with that. Will we honor God's authority or will we take control and position ourselves to decide? Our response to hardship in our lives is an indicator of who has a primary authority in our life. These, these four men were righteous men taken into greater complexity. The government forcibly used their power to remove them from home, from language, from family, forced them into their own agenda, and they had to decide if and how they were going to honor God. Yet all four faithfully kept God as authority in their life. They didn't allow the circumstances or bitterness or losses to lead them to fear and to move authority in their life. They kept authority where it belonged for the rest of their lives, even though God would never ultimately remove the complexity they now found themselves in. It's like the words of Job, though he slay me, yet I would trust in him. Now let me be clear. I'm not talking about removing fear, but overcoming it. There is no courage without fear. Courage is not revealed without fear. You may have heard someone say that courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to do what's right in spite of it. So we're not talking about removing fear, but overcoming it, especially when God does not remove the complexity. So consider this. Daniel, it doesn't appear that Daniel objected to his name change. Scripture doesn't tell us either way if he didn't, but it appears that he didn't. And if he didn't, it very well could have been because it didn't matter what they called him. He knew who he was. It also doesn't appear that he rejected, to the, rejected the Babylonian education or objected to it. Maybe because he understood it could benefit him in his new scenario but also understood that he knew what he believed, regardless of what they taught him. Yet, he did object to the food from the king's table. You may wonder why. It's like he's making much ado about nothing. It's just food. But it was actually more than that. To eat it was disobedience. It was a direct violation of God's word because this food was likely offered to sac uh, uh, sacrifice to idols. It was likely not kosher. And it was a reflection or an acknowledgement of fellowship with Babylonian culture that Daniel was not choosing. So this was not about food, but authority. And it may seem like Daniel is making a mountain out of a molehill, but, but holiness and faithfulness were at stake here. It's about who we give authority in our lives, the, the choice to be faithful. And his name and his education happened to him. But he was not going to allow a direct step of disobedience 
it didn't remove his responsibility to be faithful to God, even though God had allowed circumstances in his life that were very complex. This conversation is over food, but it's not about food. It's ultimately about authority and holiness. And holiness is an issue of authority before action. Holiness, that Christ-likeness, being like Jesus, is an issue of authority before action. It's who over what. I'm going to pack that more in a moment, but listen, God will never abandon us when we stand for him, when we choose him. So let's take this back into what happened next. Verse 11 in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. You get to decide. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. Okay, holiness is an issue of authority before action. It's first an issue of authority in our lives, not action. So it's not about the rules, but about relationship. It's about his presence in our life. It's about the relationship that we have with them. The rules support the relationship, not the other way around. It, so it, it plays out in our action, and it plays out in who we give authority to in our life. Now that's who we give authority, not who takes authority. Daniel had plenty of people in his life who were taking authority, right? Making him do things he didn't necessarily want to do. Taking authority. And you may have people in your life that are taking authority. But, but like Daniel, you can choose to give authority. And Daniel chose to give authority, first and foremost, primary authority to one. To God. Daniel chose to put his faith in God. Although that undoubtedly this process was a character building journey that had lots of challenges to it. He chose, he chose to put his faith in God. And God never left him. He's faithfully present in all of Daniel's faithful practices. Because our God will never abandon us when we stand for him. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. But if we're going to take a stand like Daniel took, that's going to take courage. Because faithfulness is based in trust, but it, it requires courage. That's your next feeling if you're tracking along. That faithfulness is based in trust, but requires courage. In the complexity of life, if we're going to be faithful, it's going to require courage. And Daniel risks big with and for God, even though God had allowed tragedy. And he never, God never abandons those who follow him. So look what happens next in verse 15 of, verse one, of chapter 1. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away the choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave. Who gave? God. It wasn't celery and carrots, my friends. It was God. Who gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Look, faithfulness is based in trust, but it requires courage. So at the, so the mercies of powers to be, in unexpected change, in abrupt loss, among something pretty crummy, Daniel chooses to have courage and to fear less. Even in the face of punishment, even in the face, it meant forfeiting his own comfort, and even mean, may mean he was misunderstood, even with the possible justification, the tempting justification that God had not protected, had not stopped the wrongs and the pain and the injustices and the losses in his life. Daniel chose faithfulness. And because of Daniel's faithfulness, God moved in that situation and granted Daniel great favor. 
Because the favor of God comes with following God. No matter where you're at in your life, no matter what's in front of you, the favor of God comes with following God. So this whole conversation is ultimately a conversation about authority and submission. This is not about the issues. It's not about the complexity. It's about the reality of who we give authority to in our life. Who we give authority then determines who submits. And as the way that God designed it, as he is creator God who sent his son Jesus to die for us and gave us the Bible as authority in our life, he wants us to give him authority and to position us to submit. Again, this is like an umbrella that when God is in charge, then others and government and ourselves, when we live in submission to him, everything's perfect. But it's a lot more convoluted than that, and we know it. Because the temptation is to move authority. To move authority to government and say they get to pick and choose everything about who we are. Now I'm talking about primary authority. Because when we live this way, we give God primary authority. God then gives authority to government, and we're to submit in relationship to government. He also gives us a directive of how we relate to others. When he's in charge, he gets to decide who we are and what we do. But the temptation is to move this around. To pick and choose and say, on the issue, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide what I, who I am and what I do. Or you know what? I'm going to let others decide who I am and what I do. The greatest temptation is that we pick ourselves and say, I'm choosing it all. But if we have faith in him, we're going to follow him. He gets to decide who we are and what we do. And whenever we start to move authority all over the place, it gets really hard to understand who we are and what we're supposed to do in that complexity. But when we follow Jesus and we've given our life to him, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for him. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. We, we don't determine our purpose and our identity. If we're determining our purpose and our identity, then he's not our Lord. And we've already moved authority. We all have personal preferences and, and opinions. But those things don't save and those things don't redeem and, and they don't reconcile. And authority in the wrong hands is inherently problematic. Inherently problematic. Now, I get that there's a blend to this, that there are people who honor God and people who don't honor God. And there's things within government that are God-honoring and things that are not. And so this thing kind of ebbs and flows. And again, it's woven, it's more complex. But just understand, who we give primary authority to determines who we are and what we do. And we get to the point where we say, you know what, I'm going to decide that. When we do that, we're asking God to submit to us. The creator to submit to the creation. That should never be the case. When we let others decide who we are and what we do, give them primary authority, and now we live as people pleasers. And in that complexity, then that's not others, that's government. <laughs> there you go. It's confusing at times. When we give a th primary authority to others, well, then that actually positions established authority by God to submit to people. And that violent rioting as opposed to peaceful pro protesting gets really complex in here. If we actually say, you know what, then government gets authority, the challenge with government getting authority is government is always self-sustaining. It's self-preserving. And it starts to mess with power. Anytime you talk about authority, it messes with power. And, and power, power is not inherently evil. Power is first and foremost divine. God is the one who has all power. And he imparts and shares that power. And he gives that power. And what makes it and determines it to be unholy is how we interact with others. And we devalue people with the power that we have. If we position ourselves so that we diminish everybody else around us, that power becomes unholy. When we devalue others, that defines the nature of the power we've been given. But what God wants from us is to sit where we give him primary authority 
And we submit to him in relationship to him, but also in relationship to others, in relationship to government. Even government that isn't totally God-honoring. But that's complexity that we can often struggle with. Not everything about the, all those arenas are bad, but they get out of whack when we move authority. Every time we move authority, it shifts identity and it changes purpose and it gets convoluted and complex. Our nation is struggling with submitting to the authority of God. One nation under God. We're not faithful in that. We, we have moved authority so much within our government that we're now deciding what's right and wrong. We're determining what's right and wrong, which means we're rewriting what sin is. We're saying things that once were sin are no longer sin. And whenever we can define what sin is, it means we moved authority. But it also means that we are no longer in need of a savior. If we can determine what's right and wrong, what's sin and not sin, then we don't need a savior and Jesus died for nothing. But the only way we can determine what's right and wrong and to rewrite sin is to move authority to, to ourselves to others, or to the established authority. Our identity and our purpose gets messed up every time we move authority. And Daniel and his friends drew a line as it related to who would have authority. Let's go to the so what reality for us today. Daniel shows us how to navigate the complexity we face in our world. To live as holy people in unholy times. Stand up lives in a bow down world if you would. Where we live strong and courageous in the midst of complexity and adversity. The four men took advantage of what they could. They, they, they learned in their education. They, they sat under the established authority that they were imprisoned to and slaves to. But there was a line that they would hit at some point. Daniel hit the line when it came to the food. And it wasn't about the food. It was about obedience. It was about authority. It was about holiness. And I wonder where the line is in the things in your life. Where is there a line that you've already crossed that you need to come back across and submit to the authority of God? Where is there an impending line where God's going to ask you to take a stand where you do not disobey Him and you have to take a courageous stand in the midst of the complexity? There are lines that have been drawn and need to be drawn before God. If He has authority, because there are things we can't endorse, there's things we can't participate in, if he gets authority. If you want to move authority, that's a different subject. But then again, we're changing our identity and our purpose. And too often we move authority out of fear because we want to control the situation. We want to avoid problems. We, we see no other way. But we should really see that keeping authority with God is the only way. When he's king, when he's in charge, we're best positioned to be who we're supposed to be in this world, in this life. And if we're going to see that happen, I believe there's five things we need to be willing to do. Five things we get to do. Here's the first one. Be willing to navigate difficulty. We need to be willing to navigate difficulty. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Look, too many people want to run from the difficulty, but God allows and orchestrates difficulty for holiness. He allows it for a greater purpose. And don't try to avoid the difficulty just because it's difficult. Learn to live and lead in it just like Daniel did. But just keep God first. Keep giving him authority in that dynamic. Be willing to navigate difficulty. The second is be willing to be tested. Be willing to be tested. Too often I think we want to step back from the testing, but really the only people who resist or are afraid of testing are the ones who aren't prepared to pass. So be willing to stand in the testing. 
Stand in a posture in, a, in, in just the strength that Jesus provides. Your faith may feel thin in the complexities of this world, but it is in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. So be willing to be tested. But beyond that, be willing to live under authority. Be willing to live under authority. Inherently, authority brings power into play. And again, I said power is not inherently evil. Power is first divine, but how we use power. When we devalue people, it makes it unholy. That's how, that's how we know whether we're living in, in a holy posture or what holy power looks like. But whenever we don't add value to people, when we devalue, that means... Well, th this is the reason government often struggles. They have been given power, but they don't often impart value. And we don't lead with love and value, then, then power looks like force. Without value, power looks like force, not love. But ultimately, because God imparts power and God is love, behind that power, in, in holy power, it is rooted in love. But our government struggles with that. Many other governments as well. But the, be willing to live under authority. This is why I sit under authority locally and even denominationally. There's an umbrella to that. There's no perfect church. We're in it. And there's no perfect denomination because imperfect churches are in it. But there's only, there's only one righteous authority, and that is God. And some people say, well, then you know what? We just follow God, and we ignore everybody else and everything else. Look, that's not how God designed it. God himself says, I have authority. He says he's imparted authority to government. Read Romans 13. It's very clear. Established authority comes from God. He also wants us to submit to him, but he also calls us to live in relationships with others where we consider others better than ourselves. So it's not just about this relationship, it's about the other two relationships. And when these two things do not sit in submission to the authority of God, it gets really complex for us. But ultimately, the decision of what we do in life is the line of obedience and disobedience. Choose never to disobey God. Choose to sit in a posture where you acknowledge His authority. I've said for years that I will never stand on this platform and in one hand wave the banner of our denomination and in the other hand the banner of Jesus. But I will consistently and faithfully every weekend stand on the platform of our denomination with both hands wave the banner of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In a similar vein, I will never stand up here and wave the banner of the USA in one hand and the banner of Jesus in another. But I will stand on the platform of a country I love and a country I have served proud of the freedoms that we have, heartbroken for the things that are messed up, and both hands wave the banner of Jesus. And I encourage you to do the same. Be willing to live under authority. Fourth, choose obedience. In that authority conversation, obedience is the line. We need to submit to authority, but when it starts to bump against God's authority, when it leads to disobedience, like, like Daniel who said, I'm not going to eat that food because that is ultimately disobedience, that's the line that we bump into. Daniel lived with God's authority first, then the established authority. And he and his friends, they lived in Babylon, but they weren't of Babylon. But disobedience to God defines the line of compliance and defiance. You should be tracking God's authority in all the issues that you're navigating. I think too many Christians get, get lost in the issues. They promote issues instead of authority. They promote God's perspectives rather than his authority. Obedience is an issue of authority. Courage is an issue of authority. Faithfulness is an issue of authority. Fearing less is an issue of authority. Be willing to choose obedience. And finally, embrace hope. Embrace hope. 
man, I know this world is complex. I know our nation has so many things we're struggling with, but choose hope over fear. Why? Because he's with you. He has promised to never leave you or forsake you. When you give him authority in your life, he positions you to walk in his presence. And his presence begins to change everything. Live in faithfulness, embracing hope along the way. Let, let hope, not hurt, define your future. As you live in his presence, under his authority. You know what set Daniel apart? Is that he held to hope that God is good. That he never abandons us or lets go of us. That he's faithful that he is present, and that he works in triumph and tragedy. In the complexity of life, tragedies or challenges or triumphs, we can choose hope, and we can live in faithfulness to him, in his holiness, his Christ-likeness, submitting to his authority. That changes the way that we communicate, the way we relate, what we value, how we love. And far too often in this whole dynamic, we look to, to government to fix others. Or we look to, to others to fix government. Or we say, you know what, I'm the one that's going to take care of this and fix it all. When in reality, the only one who fixes the brokenness of this world, the only one who redeems, the only one who restores and reconciles is a God who sent his son to die for us. And this is the only way, the primary authority of God, the only way that the complexity starts to settle and we can find stability amidst all that instability. If you have not ever made a decision to give God authority in your life, you never asked Jesus to be your Savior, that's the opportunity you have today to, to position Him as primary authority. Until you do that, all the complexity around you would just be confusing. You won't be able to ever make sense of it. Even once you make a decision to submit to the authority of God, it's still very complex of how we relate to government and how we relate to others and even how we relate to Him and the complexity of all of that. But without Jesus, there is no hope. Without giving God primary authority, there's really no way to solve the problems that we face or to find a place in it where we live at peace and have a settled spirit. It's first and foremost picking the authority of God and the authority of Jesus in our life that allows us. Here's what happened with Daniel and his friends. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar three years, three years later. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were set apart as different. Holy people in unholy times. Not because they ate carrots and celery, but because they submitted to the authority of a holy God. And they chose not to bump the line of obedience and disobedience and cross it. And we have the same choice today. Are we going to honor God in the complexity or not? So here's what we want to do. I'm going to take a moment to pray here in a second. But the team's going to come and lead us in a song. We're going to stay in simulcast. And I want to invite all of you, Bettendorf included, to sit in this space and reflect on what God's saying to you today. Where is a line that you need to reestablish or make sure you don't cross? Where is there a place that you need to live for him and not just have faith in him? Where is there a spot where you have messed with authority and you've been spinning that wheel and, and he hasn't had primary authority in your life? Just to sit and reflect on what he's saying to you. As Steve and the team lead us in, 
in a powerful song that, that connects back to the subject that we're talking about. So would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Daniel. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that in the complexity of life, you still offer hope. You still give us a path to navigate that complexity as we sit as a holy people in unholy times. Lord, may we be more like your son, Jesus. May we give him increasing authority, give you authority in our life so that as we relate to others, as we relate to government, all of that starts to, to make a bit more sense than it does without you. And even now, may you speak about where lines of obedience need to be drawn and where authority needs to be returned or shifted to my brothers and sisters because we can have a hope because you are faithful in both triumphs and tragedies because you alone are God, worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. I love you. I pray these things in, in the name of your Son, in the name of our Savior, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.